0: Hello, and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way.
1: First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch.
0: You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow.
1: I like the laptop bags myself.
0: Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends, or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts.
1: Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio
0: runs our official Twitter account, at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind, or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me, at Contrarian Alex.
1: That's it. That's our intro.
0: Now time for the
2: show.
1: And we are recording for Contrarians Corner for Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, part four of the French Travaganza.
0: Hello and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend and co-host Julio. Julio, your brainchild here. Uh, the French Riviera rages on as we come across. Um, I think this might be like the the cult classic that we're doing in the. I was gonna say Scream Two is probably the most notable film we're gonna cover on here. Um, but this definitely has its own feverish following, um, and one that I'm kind of surprised it took us so long to do. But given its rating on Rotten Tomato, it had to be something where we bent the rules a little bit.
1: This is uh, the, the Phoebe chapter of the Travaganza, the Lisa Kudrow chapter. And uh, Alex, we need help for this one.
0: We did. Julio, we are joined by a third today. Why don't you uh, introduce our adoring listening public to who's saddling up and riding along with us on the Travaganza?
1: Well, Alex, it could be argued that Phoebe is the nicest friend. So it seemed appropriate to have one of the nicest people in podcasting join us. Here for the the Phoebe episode. This is a uh, this is Stu from the Stu World Order, which is a a website slash podcast that sounds a lot scarier than it really is. Uh, I don't think Stu is out to conquer the world; he's out to uh, <laughs> talk about pop culture and superheroes. Uh, Stu, how's it going?
2: It is going well. Yes, I am. My my public facing self is very nice. Yes, but Julio and I are in some DM groups on Twitter together. He knows how I can be whenever the world's not watching. <laughs>
1: Well, that's all right. I mean, we're, we're all very much not nice once the microphones turn off. But as far as you know, the world knows, uh, Stu, before we get into you and friends, if there's even a relationship between you and friends, uh, before we chart the path that landed you on the Romeo and Michelle, uh, tell us about your show.
2: Uh, So, The Stew World Order is a podcast where we review random comic book movies. Julio's been on twice. He knows how it works. I have a a list of movies right now. It goes from 1 to 115. They are all movies that are based on a comic book of some sort. Mm. I have my guests come on. They give me three numbers. I tell them what their three movies they drew were, and they pick the one that they want to talk about and discuss. So, uh, we look at everything as positive and negative. Every every movie has up and down qualities, so we give every movie some ups, some downs then we rate it out of ten.
1: It is a massive journey that I think grows every month. I think that there's new because <laughs> you are including are you including the the just direct video releases as well?
2: Yes, I have some uh, choice items on there that since the original list of 125 has been whittled down a bit, I am now including stuff like there was a made-for-TV Generation X movie, which is on YouTube, Uh, the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie, which is on YouTube, (laughs) a couple animated Batmans like uh, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker and Under the Red Hood. Those are all on the list. Very recently, I had uh, someone chose, an, an episode came out, which was Dragon Ball Z Battle of Gods. That was a theatrical release, though. I mean, that's big news right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I listened to the Dragon Ball Z episode. I'm, I'm glad somebody's talking about this, because I certainly <laughs> wouldn't be able to. Um, all right. Well, Stu, that takes care of your podcast. Now, this is the friend's extravaganza. And, and I know that the way that it looked to me on my end was, you know, we said, okay, we're going to have you this year. And then I gave you some options. I was like, well, this is what we're doing over the summer. Or we can do Minority Report. Because you have a very wrong opinion about Minority Report. <laughs> uh, but it turned out that Minority Report was already... You, you you were previously engaged already to talk about that movie somewhere else. And so, did you just... Do you have a relationship with the show, Friends? And what exactly made you pick this movie?
2: Uh So, I have... I mean, I have as much of a relationship to Friends as the layperson. I watch it. I think it's a really good show. I did on my website a while ago. I did the top 10 sitcoms of all time. And this was in there. Like, I think it was 7th or 8th, somewhere in there. I think it's a perfectly fun show. What I like about it is there's... Not a huge, relevant amount of continuity. Like, you just watch any episode of Friends and it's fine. Like, you don't need to know what's going on. What happened two episodes before this one? Where's this episode going? It doesn't matter. You just pick Friends up and watch it. And out of the list you gave me... This is a movie I had never seen. It came out in the 90s. It seemed like a a cute kind of 90s comedy that I just completely missed for whatever reason. So out of the list you gave me, which I remember had Lost in Space, and I was like, nah, nah, I'm not going to be doing that one.
1: Uh, This seemed much more enjoyable. Um, We shall see. Uh, Alex and I both watched it a long time ago. So it's almost like watching it for the first time in a way. Correct. Such different people now. And the world is such a different place.
2: Romeo and Michelle post COVID. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that is everything post COVID.
3: I never knew that we weren't that great in high school. I mean, we always had so much fun together. I thought high school was a blast.
0: All right, Julio. Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion Phoebe Buffet, Lisa Kudrow. In my research, I found you'd be shocked to learn only uh, two of the friends had appearances on the Simpsons and Lisa Kudrow is the only one who had an actual character. Matthew Perry, uh, had, he played himself that, um, I'm sure y'all listening heard his one line of dialogue that he had on a treehouse of four episode on our almost famous, uh, track that dropped. So of course, close to my heart, Lisa Kudrow here. Now, Phoebe, not so much. Uh, when I have watched friends, I have found myself annoyed, I guess with her. And just kind of like, why is this happening? Uh, because, you know, the, the other characters, especially the other women, Monica and Rachel, seem to be grounded in some semblance of reality, uh, albeit, you know, for television. But Phoebe is just like, seems like she's on a different show. Uh, but again, Man, my you knowledge must
1: have loved this movie, then.
0: <laughs> my knowledge of friends. Uh, is not that of yours or our resident friends expert, Billy, who's been helping us out along the way here. Uh, so I imagine he has something to say, a thing or two about, uh, Phoebe was the one that had a twin, right? She was part of a set of yes. identical twins.
1: Yeah. Yes. And her twin, I wonder if he's going to mention this on his clip, his twin is actually a regular character in Mad About You. Isn't that crazy?
2: <laughs> Wait, Ursula, the character? Yeah. So Ursula, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: Ursula, the, the waitress in Mad About You is actually like canonically is Phoebe's twin and there's there's a crossover episode where Helen Hunt and her friend walk into the diner or the you know the coffee shop of friends and they see Phoebe and they think it's Ursula from their show and they have Jesus. like a funny interaction and then they walk out and they never realize that they had the wrong person to begin with so anyway i want i want to like take away maybe maybe billy goes into this in his clip Let, let's find out
0: if it's not Doug and Ray from King of Queens and everyone loves Raymond doing universe melding, I don't want—I don't want any part of it.
1: <laughs> the multiverse predates all of us. It does, uh,
0: but yeah, let's hear what Billy has to say about uh, Miss Buffet. Thanks.
3: Here is Contrarians listeners, back for another week of fun with the B-Dizzle here to school you on Friends. This week we're going to be talking about Phoebe Buffet as played by Lisa Kudrow. Lisa Kudrow is hilarious. She's honestly one of the funniest actresses in the world in my opinion. However, I don't think she really gets to shine as Phoebe. Phoebe is the oddball of the group. She is the least connected friend by far. In fact, I don't even think it's ever really covered off how she knows the rest of the gang. Phoebe is described in the show as floofy, as flaky, and I think that definitely describes it. It's hard to even say whether Phoebe actually feels anything towards the rest of the friends, or whether she just kind of hangs around them. It's obvious she has feelings, and in the later seasons, when she pairs up with Paul Rudd as her partner Mike, That's when Phoebe really comes into her own in my opinion. There's a lot to like about Phoebe though. Phoebe is who Phoebe is and she knows it and I think she is a tremendous role model in a lot of ways. She doesn't bow down to anybody and she does whatever she wants to do. She believes that her mother has inhabited a cat and so she keeps that cat from a little girl who owns the cat. She plays the guitar not very well and yet she does it out the front of Monica's very fancy restaurant purely because she likes doing it phoebe's mother died when she was very young by suicide and it has obviously affected her very much while phoebe may not be connected to the rest of the gang she is connected to other sitcoms her twin sister ursula who comes into the show quite early on is a bit of a spin-off from mad about you where she played a waitress in that show phoebe is my fifth ranked friend i like her i don't love her but she's very entertaining to watch I hope you enjoyed this little schooling on Friends, and if you haven't seen it, go check it
1: out. Now, back to The Contrarians. Uh, halfway through that clip, I'm like, is he describing Michelle or is he describing Phoebe? But I guess we'll we'll get into that. Um, Man, he ranks her five, which worries me because that means that either Ross or Rachel is his number six, which seems... I'm betting on Ross because Ross is not very popular. Um, Stu, I don't know if you're if you feel comfortable ranking the friends, but if you had to rank them,
2: I think Phoebe is the easiest one to rank because there's only six of them. like you're you're not a very clever person if you can say like, "Oh, I forgot all about one of the friends. But if there's one I would forget about it would be Phoebe. So <laughs> to me, she's fourth, though, because she's not as good as Monica, Joey, Chandler. But she's much, much better than Ross and Rachel, who are just despicable, terrible characters. (laughs) Holy cow. So she's she's the most forgettable of the six, but she's not one of the terrible ones that just aren't likable.
1: Wow. Wow. (laughs) I I guess I'll say my defense of Rachel for a Rachel episode, but I'll just say that I I admire your conviction and your passion and your hatred of the the couple and friends. Um, Alex, thoughts?
0: I had no idea. I knew Phoebe's mom was dead on the show. I had no idea she killed herself. That's pretty intense.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is
2: very deep for friends. They
1: bring it up fairly often, I feel. Not necessarily as a joke, but not also as a, you know, when they bring it up, it's not not meant to be sad. It's more like, oh, yeah, by the way, my mom killed herself and everybody gets awkward. You have to be kind of talented to pull that off, you know, and keep things light.
3: I remember when I first came to this city, I was 14, my mom had just killed herself and my stepdad was back in prison, and I got here and I didn't know anybody, and I ended up living with this albino guy who was like cleaning windshields outside Port Authority, and then he killed himself, and then I found aromatherapy, so believe me, I know exactly how you feel.
0: All right, so that brings us up to speed on Phoebe Buffet on Lisa Kudrow's role on Friends and where we are here in the Friends Stravaganza. To bring you up to speed to what we do here on the Contrarians, for any first time listeners, any big Phoebe, well, I don't know what the fuck they call them Buffet heads, bu- <laughs> Um but. Any new listeners, thank you very much. Returning listeners, give us just a moment here. Here on The Contrarians, our battle cry is that we uh, rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times accompanied by that beautiful IP, that trademarked logo, certified fresh. And what we'll do with that is uh, cut that movie down to size, talk about some elements of it that are maybe a little bit overrated, uh, some you know troublesome or just weak, lazy elements of it that critics might have swept under the rug. Uh, any anything we can do to kind of just let you know that uh, maybe that rating doesn't reflect the whole story. Conversely, we'll find a movie that is rotten. We typically shoot for about thirty percent and below. And as you could guess, we'll make a case for that film's positive merit: good screenwriting, uh, score, uh, you know, some underrated acting, even just scenes in particular. Uh, believe it or not, Julio and I have found movies that were like, "Hey, it's worth seeing. It's bad, but this one scene, you know, got to check it out." Uh, being that. Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion is 73%. It kind of falls out of our typical wheelhouse, but for the French Stravaganza, we got to make exceptions. So we will be treating this movie as as it's rated fresh. So here in the first portion, we'll be uh, negative and bringing this thing uh, down a few pegs, maybe questioning its beloved cult status. Uh, We do this all in an attempt to show that our subjective, you can be as over the moon about something if you want to be, or as cynical about something if you truly choose to be. And secondly, that man, them Rotten Tomato scores always don't tell the whole story. Uh, But Julio, that comprises the first part of our podcast uh, and the movies we cover. If listeners want to know how we really feel about these movies, and we... including Stu this time around. They just have to tune in to the second part of the episode.
1: That's correct. Part two of every episode is real talk, where we tell each other how we really feel about the movie. And in this case, I have no idea what my co-hosts think about Romeo and Michelle. Alex and I exchanged a couple text messages about how hot uh, Mira Sorvino is. But that's it. That's like no real spoiler. But as far as like how we feel about the movie, uh, yeah, we'll find out in real talk. I also don't know anything uh, about Stu. Uh, man, after Stu ranked Phoebe last, I can't imagine no, no. him liking this movie. No, no. But... middle, we'll okay, fourth. Yeah, but I'm I'm ignoring what you said about Ross and Rage. <laughs> so. We'll see. We'll see how, how how this goes in real talk. But first, like Alex said, we're going to say some, uh, some mean things about uh, Romy and Michelle. We're going to point out what doesn't work in this movie.
0: Julio, 73% released on April 25th of 1997. What were the critics then, now and forever, saying about Romy and Michelle's high school reunion?
1: You know, for such a beloved in some areas, in some pockets of the of the world movie. Not as many reviews as I expected, but there's lots of fresh tomatoes anyway. So I grabbed a few quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website, starting with Philip Martin from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, who says, it's not stupid. It's adorable. <laughs> there's a difference. To that, I say, it can be both. It can be stupid and adorable. They're not mutually exclusive.
0: Zoe Deschanel made a whole career off that idea.
1: <laughs> Is this movie adorable? Um, Frederick and Marianne Bursat from Spirituality and Practice say hilarious comedy about the challenges of friendship and the yearning all of us have to find something to do that is fun and fulfilling. Dot dot dot. Like podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> something reviewed this called spirituality
2: and and, and what was that? Practice. Practice. That's okay. Good for them. If they're on Rotten Tomatoes, there's hope for all of us.
1: They're they're everywhere. They I mean everywhere on Rotten Tomatoes. We pulled their quotes before and every time it's just like well of course you would say that <laughs> uh, rob Blackwelder from splice wire says garofalo no surprise steals every scene she's in uh she's in two scenes i think were you feeling the lack of janine garofalo alex here were you bummed that she only gets the ant credit instead of having a starring role
0: i was trying to think of where she would have been in her career in this point in time i, I can't remember if this was kind of when she was you know one of the the bad girls of comedy uh if i remember correctly obviously i was like fucking 10 when this movie came out but (laughs) if i if my mind is right about timelines and shit she might have been a get for this so i think they were trying to like you know parcel her out uh uh philip seymour hoffman in almost famous style
1: there you go yeah uh this is after reality bites but before the truth about cats and dogs maybe
2: Oh, this is before The Truth About Cats and Dogs? That is my go-to, like, <laughs> if you ask me to name any Janine Garofalo movie, that's it for me. And it's, everything is before or after that.
1: It's That movie is the perfect answer to, like, a Numa Thurman movie, a Janine Garofalo movie, or, even harder, a Ben Chaplin movie. It's just, <laughs> like, the trifecta.
0: It was, and uh, four years before Wet Hot American Summer, which she's kind <laughs> of, like, the lead in that movie. So, her starring role.
1: It was. It was still ramping up, the... The roller coaster was still ramping up. Uh, Let's close with Desan Thompson from the Washington Post, who says, A delicious comedy about bitchiness, one up womanship, and those emotional scars left from high school days. Sounds like a great time. I had never seen the word one up womanship in print. And it seems wrong, but I completely understand it. Like, what's the male equivalent of that? One upmanship? Yeah, one upsmanship. Yeah. How often do you use one-upmanship?
0: One-upmanship pretty
2: often. I don't know if it's daily use, but it's in there. It's in the it's in the lexicon. You're both
1: wrestling fans, so I think that that's that's probably in the wrestling world that gets used <laughs> fairly often. I uh,
0: swear to God, that first time I probably ever heard that word was either Vince McMahon or Jim Ross saying it. So I, I don't think you're wrong.
1: <laughs> okay, well they gotta get into uh, one upmanship because there's women wrestlers too, right? So come on, if Desmond Thompson can do it in the Washington Post. Vince McMahon can do it. Uh,
0: I would pay good money to see someone try to tell Vince McMahon that he needs to use the word one-up "one, <laughs> one, uh, one <laughs> up woman-ship or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he would just, get the fuck out of my office.
1: <laughs> but, However, in reality.
0: Yeah, there you go. I appreciate that. And yeah, it, you're right. It looks weird laid out, but yeah, makes sense.
1: That's good. It's, it's in a way, it reflects the movie. It's like, you know, if you can make a movie about dumb guys, you can make a movie about dumb, dumb women. If You're making a movie about one-upmanship. You can make a movie about one-up womanship. It, it all right. tracks. Yeah,
2: I mean, you're, you're dealing with a movie whose title is, what, ten syllables long? <laughs> sure, one-ups <laughs> womansmanship just fits right along with what we're talking about here.
3: Are you ready? Ready. Let's do it. Uh,
0: yeah, we'll get into, um, where she, where the Phoebe character was and where friends was at this point in time in uh, part two, but for the purposes of here, I, it was a conscious decision to introduce the concept of the Simpsons in the first portion as the director. David Merkin was the showrunner on the Simpsons for several years. Um, executive producer and showrunner 93 to 95 and then, uh, 96 and 98, he wrote Deep Space Homer, which is not only an incredible episode, but it's actually the episode that uh, the mechanics are watching in the body shop uh, when Mira Savino walks in um, You know, to, for her ploy to get, uh, is it Ramon, his car? Ramon. Uh, yeah. Uh, this movie, uh, written by Robin Schiff, whose screenplay credits include uh, It's Just This and then a film called Loverboy that was released in 1989, starring Patrick Dempsey.
1: McDreamy? Also-
0: Carrie Fisher and looks like that's about it. Uh, so the credits here, if you dive deep enough into it, David Merkin obviously is for people like me uh, a name that you're familiar with. He also was the writer on The Simpsons movie and they brought him back for that. but it looks like this and Heartbreakers are his only directoral credits. Uh, so it's not like you know we're dealing with Paul Fagg or someone of like this vast universe of creation. Uh, so, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising that this is kind of what we end up getting is this. To me, it feels like this is all of his rejected ideas from The Simpsons. <laughs> he just came into it and this was everything that they said wasn't good enough for Fox. So he, he brought it to the table here.
1: First, he took it to NBC and it was like, hey, I have a whole bunch of Phoebe episodes written here. What what do you think? And they're like, no, man, go away. And then he just made it into a movie. <laughs>
0: He did, and he enlisted the services of uh, Mira Savino as well. So to just bring us up to speed really quick here, uh, Romy White and Michelle Weinberger live together in Venice, Los Angeles, California. Romy works as a cashier in the service department at a Jaguar dealership, and Michelle is unemployed. They are single, unambitious, and enjoy a casual lifestyle. While working, Romy encounters former high school classmate Heather Mooney. This is, of course, Gene Garofalo who informs Romy about their upcoming 10-year high school reunion in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, so, first of all, the first thing I need to call out, that beautiful touchstone picture's signature at the beginning of this movie. Take me back to a better time. And that that does right there.
1: Just like the uh, soundtrack. Take you back to a better time.
0: All right, real talk, um, Contrarian's <laughs> Corner, whatever we're doing here. When Just a Girl started, I was like, yes. And then I was listening to, like, That song and the lyrics and remembering like how big that song was when it came out. I'm like, this song is almost fucking 30 years old and (laughs) women's rights have regressed since then. How fucking sad is that?
1: (laughs) I mean, that's not this movie's fault, but it it, it does bum you out.
0: No, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just a note. It has nothing to do with the movie. That's just a note I wrote down of how like depressing it is. It's like this battle cry from 30 years ago and now it's just like, well, this is where we are. Yeah. What if we went backwards instead? How about that? Uh, yeah, not all like it's like the thing of you know time travel. We don't want to go too far back, but we just need to find like the the right balance there. So, uh, all right, we've talked about Phoebe Buffay, uh, Lisa Kudrow here, Stu, the too closely titled name of Mira Sorvino, who you know this movie came out a little too uncomfortably close to American Pie to get some confusion out of this, wouldn't you say?
2: American Beauty. Well, American Pie too. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. I forgot she was, yeah. No, it's, uh, I don't understand why we need both those names in the world. Like why they both had to be famous at the same time. Mina Suvari and Mira Sorvino. It's the Dylan McDermott Dermott Mulroney of, of female actors from the 90s. Because I saw the name Mira Sorvino whenever, you know, we were getting ready to watch this. And I was like, oh, it's the girl from American Beauty. And then I turned it on and was like, oh, it is not that girl it is the
1: stuff's own mira sorvino it's really weird because in a way i would say that neither of them won the battle for supremacy out of the you know what i mean like uh, and yet mira sorvino has an oscar <laughs> and, and her dad is paul sorvino like he was a good fella so you would think that mira sorvino would have prevailed just easily but somehow it just you know the the industry it just you can't trust it, you know. You can you can win an Oscar, then you can be in Romy and Michelle, and then, man, it's when I see her here, it's uh, kind of like when you hear "Just a Girl from No Doubt." It just it kind of tells me like, man, there was like such promise here, and then what happened? We failed her. We just like let her. Why is she not in the MCU? Like everybody else is. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs>
0: uh, yes, of course. Coming riding off the wave of uh, Mighty Aphrodite, Blue in the Face. Beautiful Girls, which we've covered previously on here, Tales of Erotica, uh, Tarantella, Tarantula, and uh, writing into this, she also later that summer had Mimic, the Guillermo del Toro film. So You know, at
1: around, at around this time, she was also... I'm not saying that women or men are defined by who they date, but I do remember very clearly that she was dating Quentin Tarantino at some point. I don't know how that affects your career, but it definitely has to have some effect to your career. Like, do you think that he was just criticizing her scripts, like the scripts that she was getting? Or was he kind of like a hands-off kind of guy? Because I can't imagine Tarantino keeping his opinions to himself. The problem with this script, Mira, is it's shit.
2: (laughs) I can't imagine anybody being in a relationship with that man. Oh, no
0: joke. You see these eggs? These eggs aren't fucking good. My eggs are fucking good. (laughs) So... An odd um, project to take here, uh, but regardless of uh, you know the involvement of the actresses and actors here, the movie starts, one of Juli and I's favorite tropes, the, the gals are watching um, Pretty Woman. We just love it when a movie shows a better movie within itself, <laughs> to, re- to remind you it's not going to be as good as this.
1: It's not just that it shows Pretty Woman, they talk shit about Pretty Woman. Like it's they already setting the tone. Like so you're gonna do better? And they don't.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If you're gonna sit there and insult pretty woman, you're really telling us like to to buckle in for something more than what this movie's going to give us.
1: Seminal classic of American cinema, pretty woman.
0: Um uh, so you know, Seinfeld was nearing the end here, and I think one of the things this movie teaches us is that the the plot, you know, the the show, the movie, what have you. The idea, it's about nothing. Yeah, that can work in a 22-minute installment, but not a 90-minute film. Because pretty quickly into this, I'm just like, what What do they do? Like, I understand the one of them has a job and the other one doesn't, but it's just, <laughs> you know, they just go to the club and they dance and they just kind of talk to each other and don't really talk to anybody else. Uh, it has, you know, the Seinfeld aspect to it. I guess it's just, it was hot at the time. Yeah, Seinfeld would have been... At its fucking apex at this point in time, but does not work in a movie. Um, speaking of Seinfeld, of course, Jean Garofalo comes into the fray. Uh, for those of you who don't <laughs> understand the segue, she was Jerry's fiance uh, on the show. They break um, up at the same time. They do. Uh, Heather Mooney, she invented quick burning paper for cigarettes. So I forget what the catchphrase is, but it's like twice the flavor and half the time, or something. <laughs> Uh, talk about a different time, but she's just like smoking in an establishment. Just shows up. Yeah. There. yeah, yeah,
2: several times in this movie. That's so weird to watch now.
1: So I think that I, I love Janine Garofalo. I think she's great. I think she, is, uh, she stands out, especially because she's, you know, she's all Janine Garofalo here and she's so different from uh, Romeo and Michelle. And that's, I think, the problem that a real movie, a good movie, would pair two different people on the road trip. That's 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 how the formula goes, right? So you put either Romy or Michelle with Janine Garofalo and you just send them off to Tucson. This movie writes Janine Garofalo off until the end of the movie and then puts basically two of the same character in that car and sends them off because Romy and Michelle are pretty much the same person and that person is Phoebe. So... <laughs> I mean, I understand the logic, you know, it's like, oh, Friends is so popular and Phoebe is so popular, so what if we make a movie with two Phoebes and we just send them on a road trip? But when you're watching it kind of like disconnected from the 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 Friends hype, it just feels like it falls flat, like there's not enough contrast, push and pull between the two protagonists. Do you agree or am I being too harsh on uh, Rome and Michelle? Am I missing the nuances of their characterization? Uh, no,
2: you've got Roby who thinks she's smarter and uh, Phoebe Michelle who thinks she's cute her, but ultimately, yeah, they're, they are just the same person. And that's why at the end, they just get to like, you're as cute as I am. You're as smart as I am. Well, yeah, because you're the same human being. You were literally just twins that the egg split and then went into two different people. And that's it.
1: Yeah. Like Alex said, 22 minutes of this, that would work. But uh, 90 minutes of it, it's it's pretty rough.
0: We've covered this elsewhere in previous episodes, um, Julio and myself, I should say. So, Stu will bring in the discussion here. This begins, you know, it, it was big at this point in time and bled into the early two thousands. the The idea of the the high school nostalgia now, Julio and myself, as we talked about and can't hardly wait in a few other episodes, have little to none in terms of nostalgia for high school. It happened. It was cool. It made us who we are. Yada yada yada. But the idea of like reunions. And, you know, constantly reminiscing about it and shit like that. You definitely alienate your audience if they don't really give a shit. And <laughs> I'm just kind of curious if that's something that are you one of those people that, you know, every high school reunion you go back to, you got to keep up with the, you know everything that's happening. I've literally never been to one. We've had
2: however many we've had. I'm 41 years old, so I'm sure we've had at least two. I've never been to one, so I have no idea. Yeah, it's I'm one of those people, yeah, like high school meant very little to me at all. So you see movies like this where it just romanticizes, you know, high school and, and who you are now. And, oh, it was never as good as it was in high school. No,
1: literally everything was better. Everything <laughs> has been better since then. So you are the three of us. We are all the Janine Garofles actually not even that where the people don't they're not in the movie because we don't go to the the reunion. we didn't even show up we just
2: we got the invitation we just
1: threw it away yeah we're the deleted scene
0: i spent like the next 10 minutes of the movie trying to figure out if i had ever actually been invited to a high school reunion but i don't don't know uh we get some flashback sequences we learn that Romeo and michelle weren't particularly cool in uh high school we get some pretty uh classic has a positive connotation so i'll say standard um insane nineties body shaming where we learned that Mira Sorvino was bullied for being chubby and fat. And then on top of it, you have um, Lisa Kudrow was in a, a back brace for her scoliosis and, you know, let's make fun of the, the kid in the brace, the disabled kid. And it's just things that do not age well at all. The back brace makes no
2: sense in this movie. It was just, you could tell they were like, how can we find a way to make this objectively attractive person appear to have had a rough time in high school? Let's just put them in a back brace and a plot line that goes nowhere. Sure.
1: They they have to try harder if they're going to make us believe that they were not more popular than they would have been in high school. Well, for one, because speaking of tropes, Alex, and tropes that don't age well if they ever were good, they have that they just cast adults. To play the teenage selves it's just them and they look old like not grease old but they're still pretty old so you're watching two attractive adult women playing high schoolers it's like that doesn't make any sense uh i didn't buy lisa kudrow as a woman who wasn't already 30
2: in this movie <laughs> i sure as hell didn't buy her as a high schooler
0: <laughs> yeah she was olivia newton john in greece at
1: this point. <laughs> yeah uh but then on top of that, I mean, it shouldn't surprise us because the movie, even in present day, is trying to tell you that they're really not that attractive. Like they go to a club and they're we're supposed to believe that they're the two girls that are on the side waiting for somebody to dance with them. No, I mean, if you're going to try if you want them to dance by themselves, then make them the the type of girls that would just reject anybody that comes up to them. You know, they say that they want to dance, but then when somebody comes up, they say no. And then they finally go like, okay, well, let's just dance by ourselves. Okay. But you never see anybody approach them. So is the implication that they're not attractive, that they're not good enough for the club crowd? Which I don't buy it. Like, they're both gorgeous. And they're not that different when they're portrayed as high schoolers. So, again, they should be with the, what do they call it? The A group? The, you know, the the alphas? I
2: think the... I think the screenwriter had two actresses in mind when he wrote this. And then when the studio cast Cudro and Sorvino, he was like, oh, no, that doesn't work with what I wrote at all.
1: <laughs> but friends. OK, fine. Let's get it made.
0: Yeah, it, exactly. They're exponentially more attractive than like the popular girls. It's just. So let's put a a brunette wig on her and, you know, call her fat. That'll work. (laughs) Uh, We get flashbacks to their prom where even it's supposed to be like an 80s. It was 87 was their graduating class. So it is just overly 80s decorated. And it's just, man, kids fucking suck because obviously she was bullied and they set up this scenario in which, you know, they think her crush Billy is going to dance with her only for her to be left there hanging. And we have our two male. I guess like 1.5, one and a half male leads in this, in terms of constants throughout. Uh, You have Billy, who's the asshole. He's here. It was Romy's high school crush. This is kind of where he fades away. He'll come back at the reunion. Uh, You have Alan Cumming, who was a nerd in high school, who was in love with Michelle, Lisa Kudrow. And then on like the, the good guy side of things, the babyface side, there's Alan Cumming and then there's Justin Thoreau, who play like this yin and yang to one another where, you know, Alan Cumming is like very bright and, um, you know, just very positive energy and all this. And then Justin Thoreau is this cowboy who he doesn't speak until the end of the movie, right?
1: He doesn't reveal his face until the end of the movie. I think you're overselling the, the Justin Thoreau of it.
2: It's, yeah, you see his jaw line. I think oh, that's okay. it. I mean, I if, guess, you, if yeah, you recognize
1: them, that's good for you. You're just more, no, much more I'm, in tune with that.
0: I'm not that much of a throw maniac, but it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess in my head, it, he just showed his face throughout the whole thing. So, uh, but yeah, Alan Cumming is the the main good guy. He's the the positive force on the male side of the spectrum in this film, and he he's like a nerd in high school, and she doesn't really pay him any mind, and. Gene Garofalo is really mean to him, well, I but think again, she has a
1: crush on him. Right? I guess she's doing that thing where like she's mean to him because she likes him.
0: It, it, it's called negging, Julio. It's, <laughs>
1: it's... <laughs> what, what, was it negging back in the eighties though?
0: Oh, touche, touche. Um, but he, even more so than our our two female leads, is bending the rules of age in high school. Here, he looks like a forty year old truck driver in high school. <laughs>
1: uh i'll give this you know to be fair to alan Cumming, he just never looks right unless he's painted blue that's the curse of x2 (laughs) that was
2: my my note as soon as he comes on screen it's just nightcrawler (laughs) exclamation point yeah i
1: mean that's 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 an iconic performance in an iconic movie he's done unless he's playing nightcrawler or a version of nightcrawler i just don't buy him as a normal human being so he shows up here and he's trying to mesh with the kids and it's just it doesn't it doesn't work uh he also he doesn't have an accent he's british right i'm used to him not sounding like just your standard american dude so there was a glitch in the matrix like there was something that i just couldn't quite buy with with his character so i was glad when he was gone because i'm like okay i can focus on on the real people so to speak uh alex when you see alan coming do you think uh nightcrawler or do you think cabaret
0: uh, Nightcrawler, just because I always think of that part where they go into the Blackbird and um, like they're all looking around and he's like they don't know who he is. He just looks at him. He's like Tug. That's like that's Alan coming. <laughs> that's his in memoriam clip right, when the year he dies. <laughs> so flashback to present day. They figure that they're going to go to this, but they need to impress people. They they need to have good jobs, boyfriends. You know, have ambition, and so they begin this quest to. Find jobs and find boyfriends. We get a clip of Michelle just going around town trying to find work. And my note says here she's just Phoebe. She has like this part where she goes into, you know, a high end clothing shop. And we talk, okay. Joey, Matt LeBlanc tried something in <laughs> Lost in Space, we talked about. Courtney Cox is a completely different person as Gail Weathers than she is um, Monica Geller. Our last two, though, almost heroes. Matthew Perry is just fucking Chandler, and in this, she's just Phoebe. Uh, I mean, am I wrong? Have I not seen enough Friends that she show any more range here? It just seems like she's just Phoebe. She's a
2: little, a little bit smarter as Phoebe. Like uh, Michelle is like the caricatured version of Phoebe. Like if uh, okay. you just embellish the pure stupidity and naivete. That's whenever you have Michelle, but I mean, it's just Phoebe
1: turned up to eleven. It is. It's enough of Phoebe that it feels like Phoebe. I think it's Phoebe on a on a badly written episode of Friends, where they just go, yes. you know, they forget that she actually is smart sometimes. Uh, yeah, all she was missing was just uh, the guitar. She needed to start playing Smelly Cat in front of that guy that was not <laughs> going to hire her, and that that would have been it. But again, like what distinguishes her, Michelle, as a character from Romy? Because you could swap them. If Romy was the one looking for jobs and uh, uh, Michelle was the one looking for boyfriends, I think that the scenes play exactly the same way.
0: Either way, I'm just so fucking happy we got a reference to Singled Out, the MTV show, the, (laughs) the game show they had for dating. I literally, like, it was like one of those things of... Something you completely forgot, but you see again in your schema, and your brain just like opens up. I like clapped my hands together and made one of those noises like <laughs> oh, like with a big smile on my face, because uh, I had forgotten all about singled out, and that's my main takeaway from this segment here. I don't care who, what's doing what. Give me a, a slice of nostalgia <laughs> from nineteen ninety seven like God, the only thing I could have used more is like j- instead of that is just watching the Two become one music video by the Spice Girls. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't understand how you how you throw Singled Out into this movie, which incredibly dates your movie. And even in 1997, you had to know, like, boy, within five years, this scene is going to feel archaic. But you have Singled Out in there, but we don't see Chris Hardwick or Jenny McCarthy. So why are you even throwing it in there? It's like having a scene where they go to the Letterman show and we don't see Dave Letterman or Paul Schaefer.
1: What's the point? Why take them to that locale? It's called uh, uh, Resourceful Indie Filmmaking. Like you just, (laughs) everything is happening off camera.
0: The Uh, singled out plug uh, provided fifteen million
1: of the twenty million budget. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alex, before we before we forget about him, even though he comes back, I I sent you the the video. I should have sent it to Stu also. Uh, What's the name of this guy? the The bad guy that Mirasol has Billy. Billy is played by Fun Bobby, from. an early episode of Friends, I think it's season one. And uh, I spent half the movie just trying to figure out where I knew this guy from because I'm like, that is not Joel Edgerton. I know him from somewhere else. And and then it came to me at some point. I, I, he made a face. And I'm like, oh, it's Fun Bobby. Well,
2: I know this jacket. It's Fun
0: Bobby's jacket. Where is he? What? He's here, isn't he? Maybe. Don't toy with me. Don't <laughs> no worry, Fun Bobby. Hey. <laughs> you've been working out, huh? Not at all. I love this guy.
1: Obviously, Lisa Kudrow got him the job. It has to have been, right? She's like, okay, we need to cast somebody that's kind of a dick. Who do I know? And she goes through the Friends Rolodex, like all the supporting characters. (laughs) And she picks him and I got to tell you he's the only recognizable face when it comes to small supporting characters for guys in this movie. I mean, am I wrong? Did you guys pick up any, because there's plenty of them. There's, you know, they interact with very different guys, like in small parts, uh, you know, there's Ramon and then there's the guy that uh, Phoebe's trying to get a job from. And then there's the guy that approaches uh, Mira Servino at the club and, and so on. So there's Little small parts that I would have thought they would have cast with kind of recognizable comedians. Uh, they didn't. Like, the closest they got was from Bobby with uh, with this guy. So did you guys recognize anybody else? Or is this, as I perceived it, kind of a wasteland, a, a desert land of-, of known faces other than, you know, the main actors?
2: The lady who plays, what's her name, Toby, which is a very weird name for a woman. What She's on some kind of legal primetime show, and I couldn't place what show she's on. But I was like, oh, I know her from a show. I can picture her being a lawyer in my head. But do we know what show she was on? I don't know. Private she's practice. the only person, something like <laughs> that. She was killing me. Too. I was just like, where do I know her from?
1: But she is still like, okay, the, the, the female characters, I think they get a little more of a punch-up casting. Like The guys, I just... A bunch of nobodies. Nope, just just Nightcrawler. And fun, fun Bobby.
0: All right, so they figure out that they can lie. That's basically what happens here. The previous 10 minutes of the movie were all for naught because they figure out, hey, we can just make up shit. I think one of them literally says, the internet doesn't, Twitter doesn't exist yet. We can just lie about <laughs> shit. So they come up with the idea that uh, they're going to say they invented Post-its um, and that they're going to just give the impression that they are famous and wealthy and well-off. So they need to get some clothes, which Michelle's going to make, and then uh, Romy's going to go with the car, as we mentioned. Ramon at the uh, body shop is obviously very infatuated with her, so she goes in and sees what she can do. It Basically, the what happens is he propositions her for sex, but she says, I'm not going to do that. But what can I do? so she you know fakes it and makes it sound like they're having sex in the office there when they're 4 feet apart type thing uh, very unconvincingly but all the dudes in there buy it i guess just all really horned up
1: uh, it takes it takes some true talent to write a scene that's demeaning of both women and hispanic uh, men <laughs> but there it is they did it i don't know that it's worth the punchline
2: uh, oh. it's that's
3: ramon
1: man stallion fill me with your giant love wand
3: what no i'm sorry i don't think so i'm gonna say something nice about my penis oh ramon your penis is so powerful i'm coming okay thanks get off me now uh
0: so they get ready to embark on their road trip to tucson uh when Romy shows up at the car michelle's like where'd you get this and She jokingly says, you know, I had to give hand jobs to all those guys. And Michelle just completely no-sells it and just buys it as fact. (laughs) And she's just like, I was kidding. And they never really follow up on that. Even when they get into (laughs) their fight, Romy does not call out that, you know, you basically slut-shame me back there. What's up with that? And uh, so it leads to a a scene of them not understanding how to operate a a manual. And uh, (laughs) I guess, as if this movie didn't have enough demeaning of women we get a scene where a woman doesn't know how to drive a car here
1: yes is that
2: what that was i thought the car was just breaking down and i thought that <laughs> would pay off later i was like oh well, we're gonna get a scene later where they need to catch up to somebody and the car just completely breaks down i i didn't even get the movie sold that joke so poorly i didn't even get that's what they were
0: going for see that's what i thought it was it, it could be yours too either way one it would be offensive or on the other side it would be poor storytelling yep. so it's lose lose here <laughs> all right so set off on the road trip they uh, proffer themselves as wealthy business women but they haven't even thought it through they, they figured out they can lie but they don't even know how to lie right it, it's just like This movie goes out of its way to establish how stupid they are. They go to like a diner and they can't figure out what to say about what they do, what business they're in, that type of shit. Tensions grow as they're coming up with their backstory about who invented post-its and how they did it. You know, it's basically they they don't feel there's an even balance. Michelle doesn't feel there's an even balance, I should say. And uh, this leads to Romy explaining, well, you're not, you know, you're not the smart one of the two of us. So they pull over on the, you know, looks like Route 66, for all I know, get into a fight talking back and forth about who's the cuter who's the smarter we get a random bit of incest really for no reason as michelle says well who lost her virginity first and Romy's like it was your cousin barry i wouldn't brag about that
1: and they Uh, usually you know when they when a movie makes this type of joke then the other character would clarify well a second cousin or whatever but no (laughs) just like let's go.
0: Straight up first cousin action right there.
1: Yep. I mean, these are the same two characters that
2: remember early in the movie said lesbian sex is creepy. That's true. So, But they just blow right by
1: <laughs> that, you know. Well, it's creepy before 30. They're like, when we turn 30, <laughs> let's check again.
0: They decide that once they get to Tucson, they're going to split up and go their own ways and see basically who looks better or who who does better. Uh, so we, what we think is we get to the high school reunion Romy pairs off with uh, Billy, her crush from high school, and they're hitting it off, doing great. Michelle goes in and is basically confronted by the the A group from high school, and they are giving her shit uh, about, you know, how did you invent post-its? What did you do? She explains she made the glue. and um, A young Todd Phillips was watching this because it's basically a carbon copy in old school, the scene where Will Ferrell's at the debate and just kind of blacks out and says all this smart shit you wouldn't expect him to my next note just says what on earth happened to alan Cumming?" Uh, <laughs> now you know i'm gonna give props to this alan Cumming comes in and he's had his entire face restructured tonight he's this hottie uh all practical effects but at the same time you know he looked more like a human as nightcrawler than he does here <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's not a a good job at all. Like, he definitely came on, and I was just like, oh, no, he was substantially hotter as Alan Cumming movie. What are you trying to tell me here?
1: It's, uh, I mean, let's just, let's be honest. How long did it take you guys to figure out that this was a dream sequence? Like, the longest dream sequence ever?
2: Way too long. Yeah, I think for me, it was the scene when Alan Cumming uh, flies out of the limo.
0: (laughs) So, So... The oh yeah, Lisa Kudrow just gets completely like mowed over by it. So my thing is, they just did not have a third act. So what they did, um, (laughs) Wayne's World, Wayne's World has the three different endings, but they're all like you know ninety seconds apiece at the end, where they're just that when they say (laughs) let's let's do the happy ending, let's do the Scooby Doo ending. This movie did that shit where they actually made... it. This is like, it, the you buy the Blu-ray, and one of these is the alternate ending. But instead, they realized they'd only filled 50 minutes of a movie that the studio asked 90 for, so they have to create two different endings that both get into the movie. It's amongst the lazier things I've ever seen. Uh, but yeah, when... It becomes uh, Lisa Kudrow is making out with Alan Cumming, and she comes back into the reunion. Where she, she, she's just in her bra because she couldn't find her shirt, and they they both win the most changed award. That, yeah, this is where my note says, "Is this a dream sequence?" <laughs> and when they both win, they refuse to acknowledge each other, and then uh, it goes. I think, I think it says seventy years later, and they do like a, a Skype or Zoom call with each other, but they're still uh unwilling to bury the hatchet
2: with their timeless who's the mary and who's the rota joke
0: that's it that's it
1: Uh, just for the record i also noticed around the same time alex i think that or that's when i caught on i have like a bunch of notes about just how like ridiculous everything that's happening is and then at some point i go like wait this is a fucking dream sequence isn't it
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah my note is uh where michelle gets hit by the limousine and i was like this belongs in another movie what is happening (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and yeah when alan coming flew out of the limousine that's when i started like wait is this a dream sequence and then they go inside and like all the balloons or the bananas and carrots that were the magnets that were stuck to her when she was in high school and that's when i was like oh it's definitely okay i see
1: yeah and then after you notice it keeps going and going. I timed it. It's 12 yes. minutes. It's 12 minutes of a dream sequence. I don't think I've ever seen something like that long to go on for. I so thought long. it was longer than that. I did too. My it, notes said
0: this movie has fucking two 30 minute endings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we go to the real reunion. And my God, so up until this point, I'll say this about the movie it was pretty easily digestible and. Uh, if it's your style of comedy, good for you. This is where it becomes just like cringe. And I do not like watching cringe. I know some people get off on that shit, but I just I can't take it. Like all the interactions here. And Romy not like really being convincing and her lying and the people's reactions to it. It's just, it's not terribly fun to watch. Uh, and then like I said, there's still the, the awful 90s body shaming when they see her. And it's like, you've lost so much weight. Fuck off. Uh, but the the a group is there uh, all but one one of them kind of broke off and is doing her own thing i think at vogue yeah lisa
2: looper lisa looter whatever her name yes, was
0: there you go janine shows back up and kind of blows the whole charade here as Romy and michelle have been telling people they invented post-it notes uh, Romy, at this point in time is you know faced off with the a group What what was the the main girl's name the
1: Chrissy? no, Patric- was a, I was gonna say it was
2: a c word, but yeah. no. It's, her name was definitely started with C. Let's put it that way.
0: It's Christy. <laughs> she was the Regina George of her faction here. Christy. Um, Janine Garofalo comes up and blows the lid off of it because she knew she actually knew the guy who invented Post-it notes, uh, <laughs> and you know he works for 3M or something. She, in a very Janine Garofalo way, you know, delivers this, and it's just like this crushing moment for uh Romy and michelle i guess comes to save the day but they still have to establish how stupid she is because she's like look how fat y'all got
1: and they're like we're all pregnant <laughs> <laughs> um you were right about how this gets very cringy and that that type of like cringe humor that not everybody can pull off and it's not mira Sabrina's fault i think that there are actors that You, as an audience, have zero problem seeing humiliated. Like, that's why Ben Stiller is so good at that, right? Like, I don't mind. I can see Ben (laughs) Stiller be taken down, just abused by every actor that runs into him, like Robert De Niro. That's why, you know, Meet the Parents is such a good movie because it's Robert De Niro abusing somebody that we have zero problems seeing abused. But if you change Meet the Parents to where it's Robert De Niro shaming Mira Sorvino, it doesn't work because you don't want Mira Sorvino to be uncomfortable, to be uh, embarrassed. You want her to. To succeed, And so I, I think that that was just a miscalculation of the cast uh, here in, in, in the movie. You know, you yes, Mira Sorvino is, is a good actress. And I, I guess if you're going to create a clone of Phoebe, she is a pretty good choice. But once you get to this climax where she has to hit rock bottom and she has to be humiliated by, by the bad guys, that's where it doesn't work. Because you don't want to see this happen. I, I didn't find it funny at all.
2: Yeah, I didn't enjoy it. I might have enjoyed it more if they had done it to Michelle because Michelle came off as totally unlikable early in the movie during her job quest. I my note actually there was like I she's terribly unlikable during this job hunt. I want a car to hit her. <laughs> so if you had had the if you had had the characters humiliate her, I might have felt better about it.
1: But I I never felt that Romy deserved it. I think that it's she's just too relatable. I can relate to wanting to impress people that have looked down on you your entire life and uh that's just a movie not knowing its audience like you don't set your audience up for that and then give them something really nasty like what happens here and the problem is that as we're about to see the the way that the redemption that the characters get is not satisfying at all because it's just basically you know alan nightcrawler saves the day (laughs) it's not them
0: so yeah we get the emotion part of it after michelle stands up for Romy. they go and They have their, you know, reuniting and talking about, you know, it's just we came here to show we're better and I don't know that we are. And then that's when they realize we we don't need to be. We're ourselves. So they leave, do their hair again, change and come back in. It took them 10 years to realize they shouldn't care what their bullies in high school thought of them. (laughs) My note literally says took them 10 years to realize this shit. So they come in and they tell off Christine or Christy one of the c words and mira says we don't give a flying fuck what you think about us big close-up and then this makes them cool they now people think they're cool and that their clothes are in style and really hip and i guess this is their baby face turn or at (laughs) least their you know their breakout performance i don't fucking know it's they're the same people they were 10 minutes ago just in different outfits with different hair and i don't really know what they learned.
2: There's a bit here where there were originally in high school four popular girls, but as they grew up, one of them branched off and is now working for Vogue. And so you get back in high school, the four girls were sitting at the table and the one who ends up working for Vogue says like, hey, I think they look kind of OK. And then the other three kind of shame her for thinking that. And then you get later on here where the the one who is branched off and works for Vogue, she comes out and says like, well, no, I think they're stylish now, blah, blah, blah. And Instead of feeling like something that paid off, like, oh, hey, remember that moment earlier in the movie? That moment in the movie was so obscure, I felt like the movie was quizzing me on shit that's (laughs) happened earlier in the movie. It's like, all right, Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, you're not memento. I'm not supposed to need to take (laughs) notes on these characters to know what happened earlier on. That was an obscure line that you're now throwing back and being like, oh,
1: remember, we set this up. But it's also, they don't do... (laughs) Here's the thing, like if your message, if the message of your movie is that you have to learn to be happy with who you are and and, you know, to hell with what everybody else thinks about you. OK, well, that's cool. But then stick to that message, because in the end, the happy ending they get is because it's because of what people think, you know, they, they, the, the the Vogue lady suddenly thinks that they're cool and that makes them happy. It really should have been that they just walk out of the of the reunion and they don't care about anything. But the movie feels the need to kind of like underscore, no, 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 we're going to give them a happy ending. So they are going to get jobs and Alan Cummings going to be you know, rich and be in love with, you know, I guess both of them at the end. <laughs> it It's just not, uh, it just feels like the movie betrayed its integrity. You know, I'm like, if you're going to tell me the story of these awkward women that couldn't quite fit in and are going to have this journey where they learn that they don't need to fit in, then that's great. But then don't make them fit in at the end because that defeats the purpose of the story.
3: Can you believe we're going home in a helicopter? <laughs> I know. It's so cool. I just wish everybody inside the region would come out to see us lift off.
0: Alan Cummings shows back up for real this time. He invented a type of rubber that's used in like all the shoes in America, so he <laughs> is hella wealthy. He lands with his uh, his choppa. He comes in and immediately walks right up to Michelle and just, you know, it's like he just saw, just like yesterday. He's still just spitting with her and in love with her and he has
1: money now so so she's okay
0: oh yeah, yeah yeah she's hella attracted to him now and he comes in and asks her for a dance and she says only if Romy can join and my god what a dance <laughs> sequence here that we lead into
2: <laughs> i i hated this i hate this whole thing not even i mean the, the dance sequence also hateable but it's just she was a dick to him And he comes back 10 years later and he's rich and he just plays the hero that saves them. I could have accepted this if at the prom there's a thing where, you know, Michelle tells Romy, oh, it's it's the prom. It's our last day of school. No one's going to say no to dancing with anybody. And then Alan Cumming comes up to Michelle and asks her to dance and Michelle says no. And she just crushes this guy and it's so sad. And then he comes back later and he it's not like oh hey look what i made of myself i'm too good for you now it's just like oh yeah i'm rich now so i'm good enough for you so i can i can save the day and me you and your best friend can go off and live in polyamory together or whatever
1: <laughs> the ending of this movie is rich white dude just flies away with two women to have a threesome
0: <laughs> i mean god bless him
1: <laughs> yes but 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 the movie was not about him <laughs>
0: They had to give something to us dudes at the end. It had oh, to pay yeah. off in some way. <laughs> so, you know, we just kind of pumped our fist for Ellen Cumming at the end of this. Uh, in the process, though, as they fly off, Gene Garofalo is reunited with the dark and mysterious cowboy from high school. I guess Justin Thoreau's face is just so burned into my memory. Um, <laughs> listeners know, uh, appearing for the second time here in the Stravaganza. he's the one of the bad guys in Charlie's Angels 2 Full Throttle. Justin Thoreau shows up here and has a real thick accent but him and Jeanine Garoflo smoke a cigarette together and then go off to to make out And we see it from the the chopper view I do appreciate that it's kind of like they couldn't even afford like a smooth ride so the shot is kind of chopped up like it would be if you were like <laughs> on a helicopter without a way to you know harness your camera <laughs> and then we go to what the fallout is of this and that is that Romy and Michelle have their own shop and california in los angeles a clothing store
1: yeah at least, clothing were, sh- at least they were uh they were able to you know pave their own road and just make their own business oh wait no alan Cumming gave no. them the money
0: yes all of it it's the donald trump i was able to make myself a success <laughs> after a small million dollar loan <laughs> and so they have their own store now uh they help dress janine garofalo you know they she's all that her <laughs> they just put this bright, colorful dress on her and take her glasses off and say, Look
1: how pretty you are.
0: And then. Let's
1: sacrifice your individuality.
0: <laughs> we basically figure out they've learned nothing from all this because we end the movie just as we began with this really just completely hollow and I don't even know, just meaningless dialogue between the two of them. Let's fold scarves. <laughs> and she says. Uh, Michelle, I think you're like the coolest person I know. She says, me too, but with you, as the (laughs) Go-Go's take us out. And a cult classic was born.
1: Were these the two coolest women you've met in the 90s movie, Alex, Stu?
2: Boy, I'd have to think a lot about, I mean, uh, Thelma and Louise was a 90s movie, right?
0: (laughs) Sarah Connor existed in the 90s. (laughs) Jackie Brown existed in this same fucking year. So No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, that's, that's enough of that.
0: I know as Bret Hart would say, anyway, that was Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. (laughs) So man, oh man, was my experience watching this movie a hell of a lot different than it was when I watched it. I was probably 15, 16 or 17 when I saw it for the first time. So, uh, As always, Julio and Stu, in this case, too. You guys have done such a good job of throwing me off the track that I have no fucking clue how y'all feel about this, so I think it's uh, time to move this along to real
1: talk. Let's do that.
3: Actually, I invented a special kind of glue. Oh, really? Well, then I'm sure you wouldn't mind giving us a detailed account of exactly how you concocted this miracle glue, would you? No. Um... Well, ordinarily, when you make glue, first you need to thermoset your resin, and then after it cools, you mix in a, um, epoxide, which is really just a fancy-schmancy name for any simple oxygenated adhesive, right? Then I thought maybe, just maybe, you could raise the viscosity by adding a complex glucose derivative during the emulsification process, and it turns out I was right. I don't believe it. You must be the most successful person in our graduating class. Uh Uh-huh, and you're not. (laughs) Bye.